Thank you, music team. Let's take our Bible and go to Acts chapter 3. These four Sundays, Easter today and the last two of this month, we're preaching on the theme of this is revival with the stirring, a little bit of what's going on on some college campuses and different places. I've had many, many questions about that, and so I thought we'd just preach about revival for a few weeks and look at some selected texts, and we go back into the book of Acts. Somebody said, are you regressing, starting over? No, no, no. When we get to May, we'll go back into our Acts series as we're making our way through the book of Acts, but I do want to come back and pick up a thematic verse out of Acts chapter 3 in a moment. Uh, as we read, we'll ask you to stand for the very last verse and read it aloud with me. In this text, uh, Peter and John have gone up to the temple. There's a lame man, alms, alms. Peter says, silver and gold, I don't have what I've got. I give it to you. And he prayed for him. God raised him up and healed him. Then we find that uh, that man is with him and Peter is going to speak uh, into this miracle. Uh, there's a lot of people who discount the miraculous of the Word of God. We are not one of those. Uh, I, I was listening to a half-infidel on TikTok this week. Uh, coming against the veracity of Scripture, talking about Jairus' daughter, and said one text says she's dead, another said she's sick unto death, which one it is can't be both. And, uh, and he began to talk about... Uh, the lineage of Joseph, and was it Jacob or Eli? And if you got two brain cells, you can figure that out. Uh, he didn't want to figure it out because he hates God and hates the Word. And he came to the resurrection, began to say, uh, you know, how many women came? Was it one? Was it two? Who, did the women come first or whatever? See, the issue at hand is did Jairus' daughter die? Yes, she did. Did Jesus raise her? Yes, he did. The question is not the lineage as much as was Jesus virgin born. Yes, he was. Uh, the question is not how many women came to the tomb. It's how many people are left in the tomb. Ain't none. And you see, if you come to this book, you can find ways to discount and look and scream and scream. But I'm one of those that believes this book is true from Genesis to Revelation. Hope you're one of those. And we come to look at it this morning in the miracle context of Peter's prayer and this man's faith, and he was raised. And so we're going to begin reading in verse 11, read down through verse 18. Then I'm going to ask you to stand up with me at verse 19, because verse 19 is our text where we're going to jump off. So I'll read these 18 verses, 11 to 18. You remain seated. When we get to verse 19, I'll ask you to rise when we get to the therefore, we'll read it together. You listen now because this is God's blessed word. While he, that is the man that had been healed, was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead 
a fact to which we are witnesses. And on this basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect help in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God did announce beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, rise with me, read aloud, beginning with that word, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. He preached the gospel. He said Jesus lived. He died. He was buried and he rose again. And this man by faith believed God touched him and changed him and said to all of those that were listening, therefore, repent, return, be refreshed. We find revival in verse 19. It is the definition of it. And we will look at it together this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Cause it to lodge in our heart today. And I pray, oh God, revive Olive Baptist Church. Send a mighty revival. I'm believing you for it. And I ask you for it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you and be seated. J. Edwin Orr is one of the finest historians of awakening and revival in our world and across our land. America has known these touches before and first and second and Jesus movement revivals, the haystack meeting and uh, God is from time to time touched in a supernatural and unusual way. And there's been a little stirring of it again on some college campuses across our land. J. Edwin Orr says the definition of revival can be found in verse 19. Revival is times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. You see, revival is a reanimating of that which is already living but is in a state of declension. That that's alive, been born again, but are, uh, have moved into this apathy, a state of declension, of decline. Some say when they say, well, let's have a revival, it's an evangelistic campaign. Well, people always get saved during moves of the Spirit of God, but a revival is not an evangelistic campaign. A revival is not for the lost. A revival is for the church. It's the reanimating of those that are already alive in Christ but have drifted and that God might stir them again. And we no doubt are in a state of declension. The church is in trouble in America. Now last Sunday was Easter. It is the mountaintop day for church planting across our nation. This past year, it's estimated that 3,000 new churches were planted all across the United States. Thank God for that. Amen. 
But the negative side of that is that 4,500 churches in that same time period, while 3,000 were planted, 4,500 went out of business. They closed their doors. They were in such declension that they could no longer do it. And they disbanded, sold the property, and were gone. Thank God for those new 3,000. They won't all make it. They never do. But many of them will thrive and flourish. But we're in a day when the church is going downhill in our nation. We saw it on our Warrington campus. Uh, they at one time, eight, nine hundred, but were down and down and down, down to just 13 when we met them five years ago and shared that campus. I got good news about Warrington. Last Sunday, for the first time since we've been there, in over five years we've been working, they had over 400 people on Easter morning on the Warrington campus. <laughs> Historical day, best day we've ever had. As a matter of fact, they had 403 is what uh, was there. It was a great day. And we all have those great high watermarks. And that's always a day with those days when you say that's what we could be all the time. It's a goal to shoot at. But we're normally down there somewhere between 275, 325. And thank God for the revival of people coming back into that church. But not only are we seeing churches die, post-COVID, statisticians tell us that the church, while some are back and growing in different ways, but the church as a whole in America is at about 85% sitting in the pews after COVID. And looking back at where they were before COVID, 15% have gone away. Many have gone home to watch online and never returned. Some have just dropped by the wayside, but there has been a decline within the church. There is a moral and a spiritual declension within the church in America. And how many churches are thriving and growing and seeing good things happen, but as a whole, the church is in deep trouble in the United States of America. We need to see a mighty revival. I can't claim it anywhere else, but I have a little influence here, and that's why we're preaching about this. And this, verse 19, gives us this definition of how to have revival. There are three words that you find in this text. I shared with my daughter who's in this service. She said, Daddy, they're already alliterated. They all start with the same letter. I said, it's got to be of God. <laughs> Repent. Return, refresh, right there in the text. Therefore, since God is in at work, therefore repent, metanoia, and return, epistrepho, and be refreshed. It's those three words I want us to look at for just a moment today. Here, or J. Edwin Orr gives us that definition, and we as a church must step up. To this outline. Number one is repentance. Meta noyo. Noyo is mind. Meta is change. Repentance means to change your mind. I will never forget it. I gave the invitation to the first church I was a pastor of, and a young man 
came down the, well, he was an adult. He came walking down the aisle, and he took me by the hand, and I asked him, if you walk down here this morning, I'll ask you. I ask the same question every time. I, I simply took him by the hand, and I said, why have you come? He said, I've changed my mind about God. I'd never heard that in my life. I thought, that's the weirdest thing. And then I went home, looked up repentance, and that's exactly what it means. The lost guy knew more than the preacher. He said, I've changed my mind about God. I said, hallelujah. I helped him, grew him uh, in the faith. Well, let me tell you what repentance is in the church is that we have a change of mind. We have a change of mind about ourselves and a change of mind about God. We come to understand we're not near what we thought we were and that God is much more than we ever dreamed. We must come to repentance to have this change of mind about God. You are going in one direction, and God arrests you, and you change your thought process. The Word of God is filled with repentance. Peter here speaks it to repent. In 2 Peter 3, 9, I want to give you a few verses about repentance. I want you to look at this. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord, Peter, who spoke right here in Acts 3, in writing, he said, the Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for how many to come to repentance? All, for all to come to repentance. Acts 17 and verse number 30, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that how many people? All people everywhere should what? Repent. All people should repent. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. Or do you think lightly of his riches, of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Friend, it's not the meanness of God. It's the kindness of God. He reaches to you and says, come, come, I love you. It's the kindness of God that gives us the, re- the gift of repentance. Luke 24 and verse 17, Jesus himself said it this way, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to how many nations? All the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And then, oh my goodness, what a word Jesus gives us in Luke 13 verses 3 and 5. He repeats himself. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Verse 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, metanoia, unless you change your mind, you'll all likewise perish. Get it in your mind. We either as a church repent or perish. We repent or we perish. You either repent or you'll perish. This nation will repent or it will perish. That's where we are. This preacher will either repent or perish. Just because there's a crowd here today does not mean that even five years from now or 10 or 20 or whenever that this place could go out of business, we will either repent or we'll perish. Hey, Pastor, will I repent? What do we repent of? Well, you repent of sin, of course. But let me name two. I, may, I named these on Friday night, a good Friday service. And I had such response of people speaking to me about those. I just wanted to reiterate them this morning. I tell you, the church ought to repent of at least two things. Number one, we ought to repent. Hebrews says it in chapter 6 and chapter 9. says it two different times that the church should repent of dead works. Dead works. So, well, what's a dead work? That's teaching a Sunday school class without the touch of God on you. That's a dead work. That's standing on this platform and singing in the key of G whiz without the glory of God on you. 
You can sound good to men and not sound good to God. He said, Ed, work. It's being an usher, being more interested in meeting people around than you are giving the love of Jesus to people. It's standing behind this pulpit with eloquence and a beautiful outline and tickling the ears of people without the touch of God upon you. That is a dead work. And we must repent of it. We must be dripping wet with the oil of God within our life or all that we do will perish. Dead works. Repent, repent, repent of dead works. But there's a second thing, and it's what I call stealing glory. That we would take credit for anything that God does among us that we would say, look what we did. Glory belongs to one. It belongs to God himself. We must exalt the Lord and not ourselves. As John said, I must decrease and he must increase. We exalt his name, not our name. When we steal glory, we puff ourselves up with pride. When we exalt the Lord, we diminish pride. Just get proud of what we've done. God says we must come to human glory and let it be dim, dim, dim until it's gone. Spurgeon, writing about this text, I pulled out an old dusty commentary. It almost made me sick. Uh, smelling all of that. It's an old, old set of commentaries that I read from time to time, Spurgeon. And I found him on this text, and Spurgeon said one line. I highlighted it with yellow. In that old commentary set that some dead preacher's family gave me years ago out in Texas. Spurgeon says, All the harps of heaven will be only for Jesus. There'll be no harps for us. We're not there singing about our glory. We're just singing about the glory of one, and his name is Jesus the Christ. All the harps of heaven will be for Jesus. All glory. What we must do is come to the place that we repent of our dead works and say, oh, God, make our works to be alive, and then we must repent of stealing glory. Oh, if we take glory to ourselves. We were singing so much about glory this morning, John. We were just glory, glory. Everywhere I turned, we were singing about glory. That's what we ought to do. We ought to be singing glory, glory, glory to his name. Hallelujah. It's an old song. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Yeah, you're about to get it. You're scared to death. You're going to have the wrong word. But I'm telling you, glory, glory, glory unto his name. It's not about us. It's about him. We must repent of self-exaltation and it being about me and say, oh, God, forgive us.
changed my mind about me and changed my mind about the Lord. And that leads us right to the next word. After we repent, we must return. Epistropho, that word epi is, means two, and the word strepho means to turn like the top of a jar that you twist it off. You're going in one direction, and then you return. You repent and return. You see, repentance begins with your mind, but then it moves to your feet, your hands, and your action. Listen to me. If you're going away from God and cursing God and living godlessly, say, oh, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And when you say that, that's halfway home, but you got to turn and stop cursing God. Stop living for yourself and go back. Wherever you got off the glory merry-go-round, you got to get back on it. Begin to live for Jesus. You're going in one direction. Oh, God arrests us. We say, God, forgive. And we turn and go the other direction. Repentance begins with your mind, but it ends in your feet and your hands. Jesus said in Matthew 3 and 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. If you repented, bear fruit. Have that fruit within your lives. See, there are those that have walked away from God, and when God stops and arrests them, they confess and repent, oh, God, forgive me. And when he does, you must turn and go back. That's what's happened on these college campuses. These kids have grown up in church. Then they've gone out. Most of these are religious schools. And they've gone and gotten drunk and smoked weed, run around, men, women, feasting their eyes on stuff. And and all of a sudden they, they, they find themselves, they've drifted away from their mooring and where they grew up. And God arrests them. And they flood to the chapel and cry out, oh God, forgive us. And then they say no to the weed, and they say no to the booze. Even Budweiser repented this week. (laughs) Let me tell you what, we're we're almost a revival when the beer industry starts to repent. I'm telling you, we're we're getting close. They repented because they lost money bunch of idiots my lord don't get me off on that it happens on our college campus and so they run and some people say well they're not well listen they're not going there for an apologetics course they're going to come back to the church for us to teach them and you've got to get off your blessed assurance and teach them when they get back here And when they come home starving, you can't sit there like a stone statue. You've got to have some zippity-doo-dah joy of Jesus within you. They're looking for the real thing. And if they run back and find it, glory to God, they'll stay with you. And this church will go forward where it ought to be. They repent and then they turn. Yesterday, I did a wedding over in uh, Munson, Roval, over another end of... uh, Santa Rosa County, and the wedding was at 5 o'clock, and it was outside. If you didn't notice, it came a shower at 5 (laughs) o'clock. The water was about this deep is what the deal was. So I I was driving. I stopped off over uh, the High Notes home and visited for a little while, and then I took off. On my way to the wedding, four cars 
ran stop signs and went right in front of me. And I'm ambidextrous. I, I can use both my hands. So with my left hand, I grab the flasher. Bright, 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 bright. And with the right hand, I grab the horn. It happened three times. And, and I sat down on it. And uh, I heard the Spirit of God in my car say, Do you know that you're preaching on repentance tomorrow? <laughs> and the fourth one darted out in front of me. I hit that horn again. Pa, 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 pa. I honestly, I, I pulled in. I stopped. I said, Lord, forgive me. I, I will change my... Let me tell you, friend. You can tell God you're sorry, but you got to get off the horn. I'm telling you, that's what repentance is. It, it's not just saying words. It's you stop blowing your own horn. You, you turn. You, you repent. Oh, God, I'm sorry. And then you, you don't flash and blow. No. Because you don't ever know who that is in front of you. Well, I was really grateful none of them were going to the wedding. <laughs> Say, preacher, that's pretty silly. Well, the way you sin is pretty silly too. The way I sin gets it. But I'm telling you, if you'll cry out to God in repentance, you then must return. Return back to a life of holiness and good. You say, I can't do it. Oh, yes, you can because the, the God of glory will be in you who give you strength for the journey. You can. Not in the flesh, but in the power of the Holy Ghost who lives within us. You repent. You return. And then there comes this time of refreshing. Anasuxis. Anasuxis. What a great word. It literally means to breathe again to breathe again to have breath within when you've not had the breath of God and all of a sudden you're beginning to breathe the breath of God again the wind of God come this word is only used two times in the whole of the New Testament one time right here in Acts 3:19 the other time is in 2 Timothy 1:16 where Paul said Onesiphorus Onesiphorus he often and a success. He often refreshed me. Now watch this. When you repent and return, the first thing that happens is you begin to breathe again. You begin to have the life of the breath of God within you. It's called the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is within you. Then your life begins to refresh others as you're around them. I asked Dr. Jerry Vines, an elderly pastor here in the state of Florida one time, I said, Dr. Vines, how do you know if you're preaching and living under the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Which Dr. Vines, I never forget what he said. He looked right at me. He said, Ted, I really can't tell you how I know, but I can tell you when I ain't got it. I thought, there's a lot of truth in that. And he used the word ain't just to make his emphasis. 
He said, I know when I do not have. And friend, I'm telling you right now, you, you will know when you're walking in the flesh. Oh, yes, sir. It just becomes obvious. But when this refreshing comes and, and you're full of the breath of God, then you, you begin to be around. And you're refreshing to others. I, I want to let you all on a little secret. There's some church members I'd rather be around as some other church members. Anybody in my camp? Some people are refreshing. They're life-giving. Others will suck the life out of you. Now, the Bible has a place for a teaching about we bear one another's burdens, and it's not that we're supposed to kick them out of you. But our life should refresh their life. Even when they drag it out of you, you should be refreshing and giving of the spiritual things unto them. Are you refreshing? Are you bad breath? You stale? Or is there this joy? God knows we need a little shout and a little jump. I got a text from Mike down at Warrington campus early this morning. He said, Pastor, I'm having a ball. I said, man, this is. He said, the van is full and I can't get all of the sailors on the van. I got to make two runs to NAS this morning to get all these boys and girls on this van won't come to church today. Man, he, he refreshed me. He blessed me. God's at work. And he's sharing that. It's a good work. Not what he's done. It's what God's done. He said, brag on those people. And he told me who they were that had gotten all these young people to come to church this day. Refreshed. Oh, God, would you not please refresh Olive Baptist Church? Let a wind from heaven blow in this place. I want you to pray with me about that. I want you to lift your sail and say, oh God, refresh us. Refresh me. And then let me be a refreshment unto others. Over in the front of my Bible, I've kept this here for years. This is my preaching Bible. I've been using it. In fact, over on the next page, I got the names of lost people. One of them is in church today. I saw him right out here in the hall after church. Sits right up here. We were talking. His wife was talking to somebody, and he's just standing there and looking at me. And he said, hey, Pastor, good word this morning. I said, thank you. I said, man, I'm praying for you. I said, matter of fact, you know I got your name in front of my Bible. He said, yes, sir, I know it's there. And I showed it to him. I said, there you are, number three, right here. On the next page, years ago, I don't know how long, many, many years ago, I wrote these four points of emphasis from Evan Roberts in the 1904-1905 Welch Revival. Almost 125 years ago, they had revival in Wales, and the refreshment, refreshment of God came. And Evan Roberts, that young preacher, he was uneducated, but oh, he had a heart for God. That young preacher, he'd just be an older teenager in his early 20s. Evan Roberts said there are four things that had to happen or did happen for this revival to come. He said, number one, the past must be made clear by confession of every known sin to God and every known wrong to man. If you've wronged God or wronged man, you've got to repent and make it right. Secondly, every doubtful thing in the believer's life must be put away. If you doubt it, well, I should, I should. get away with it. Get it out of your life. 
It's amazing to me. When I was a kid growing up, if people that played, played professional sports gambled, they'd kick you out of the league. Now they lead their ads on television with gambling. Get $5 in, and if your team scores the first 15 points, you make $150. I can't tell you how many times I've been tempted to do that. But I think, man, I could make $145 right here. I said, I believe I can pick that. Yeah, and if you think you can, you're dumber than a rock. Because Vegas wins every time. Say, should I do that? If it's doubtful, do away with it. Number three, Evan said, prompt and implicit obedience must be rendered to the Spirit of God. Prompt and implicit, doing exactly what God says do when he tells you to do it. If he says walk to this altar today, come today. If he says come be baptized, come today. God says sit still, wait. Sit still and wait. Prompt and implicit obedience. Rendered to the Spirit of God. And then number four, he said public confession of Jesus Christ must be made within the church and outside the church. So you confess him here. You come and confess Christ and you confess him in the church. So we've done that. We sing this morning. But then we go out of the church and make our confession. Yesterday we had that wedding. Man, did it rain. We got inside, got them married. We just had a fun time. It was great. Well, I had to get to my car. And so the lady who was running the deal said, we can get you there. And I said, great. And I got outside. And here came one of our staff members with an umbrella. And they put me in a golf cart. And I looked up. And the girl who was doing the wedding was driving the golf cart. I looked at her. I said, do you do everything? She said, well, I'm just here to serve. I thought, praise the Lord. She drove me out to my car. And I sensed the Spirit of God say to me, Ask her about Jesus. And I didn't do it. And I got in the car, and, and I'm just telling you, I had the prick of the Spirit of God in my heart. Saying, eh. And so I, it was still raining. I pushed the window up, and I hollered at one of our staffers who was still in. I said, check her out. Ask her about Jesus and her church. And before he could ask, she shouted back. At me. She said, let me tell you. And she began to tell me all about where she goes to church. She, she is on fire. I almost missed a blessing by keeping my mouth shut. See, sometimes God has you confess Christ just to meet a friend and just to encourage another. But when God speaks, you confess him immediately and you live for him now. Both here, some of you headed to a restaurant out there. So I went out to eat this week with a friend. We sat down. <laughs> We were in a nice place. We sat there, and so I had the lady. I asked her, I said, uh, we're going to pray for our meal. How can we pray for you? She said, my cat is so sick. <laughs> I said, Lord, I've prayed for all the cats. I want to pray for this. God. <laughs> well, she was tore up. She was crying. I said, well, we'll pray for you. She left, and I looked at my buddy across. I said, well, one of us got to pray for that cat. <laughs> I said, I don't have a prayer for that. You got one? He said, I think I do. I said, good, you, you do the praying. <laughs> we tried to make Jesus known to that girl. It's not always easy, but I, I'm Jesus can take care of himself. Don't worry about him. 
He's already been killed once. He got up, and he's still alive. And he's coming back. And he's calling us to refreshment and revive and just make him known. He'll take care of himself. Just make him known. And Jesus will do the work that needs to be done. Repent. Return. Refreshed. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. There are people that need to walk down this aisle today and repent. Trust Jesus. There are people who need to come, having been saved, ready to be baptized. There are people that need to come join this church today. Some of you are going to go with us to Discovering Olive, and you do it over there, but you can do it right here before we go. Some of you are here, and you're a long way from the Lord. Just going through religious motion, you need to come and return today. Change your mind about who you are. The call of God's in this room. John's going to sing. And after I pray, I'm going to invite you to come. Father, I pray for men, women, boys, girls that are in this room that they'd come and say yes to Jesus today. I pray they'd come in repentance, then returning. And thank you for the promise of refreshing that the joy, oh, the joy of heaven that be in our soul. God, renew our joy today. Revive us again, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.